It's the first few pages, it's the first few pages, it's the first few pages, it's the first few pages. Hello and welcome. This is the first few pages, a Carlton Place Public Library podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Zeman. The idea of this podcast is to introduce you to some classic works of literature and maybe a few not-so-classic works. I will provide a bit of background on the author and the book, some fun facts, and then read the first few pages. You can then decide if you want to read the book or not. The books I will be talking about are all in the public domain. So what is the public domain, you ask? According to Wikipedia, public domain is all the creative work to which no exclusive intellectual property rights apply. Those rights may, be, may have expired, have been forfeited, expressly waived, or may be inapplicable. As examples, the works of Shakespeare and Beethoven are in the public domain either by virtue of having been created before copyright existed or by their copyright term having expired. What is in the public domain differs between countries, but generally the book is public, a book is public domain once the copyright has expired, which is 70 years after the author's death. Or in the U.S., it's anything published before 1925 or uh, 95 years after the author's death. I hope that helps. Uh, the books that I will be talking about in this podcast are mostly all available online, either through Google Books or Project Gutenberg. Um, and uh, so we'll just go to our first book then. So uh, the first book that I've chosen is Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. I chose this as the first book because it is one of my all-time favorites. I fell hard for Jane Austen in my early teens. It was the mid-90s and the classic BBC miniseries version of Pride and Prejudice had just come out. This was, of course, also the birth of my love for Colin Firth, but that's a different podcast entirely. I read through all six of Austen's novels that year and I reread them constantly over the years. I love the combination of manners and sass that Austen writes with and I'm all... I, am and always will be a sucker for a love story. So let's get to some info about Jane herself. Jane was born on December 16th, 1775. She was the seventh of eight children. Her parents were George, a clergyman, and Cassandra, a member of the lower nobility who married down and never regretted it. Jane was sent away to school twice, but was brought back once due to an outbreak of some kind and once due to financial restraints. The majority of her education came from her father and his library. In 1797, when she was 21, her father attempted to have her book published, but when the publisher found out it had been written by a woman, he sent it back without even reading it. This book would become Pride and Prejudice. She was, about to, she was able to publish it uh, 14 years later after the success of her first book, Sense and Sensibility. In order to get Sense and Sensibility published, Jane had to pay the publisher to print it and pay him... Um, royalties on every book sold. All of Jane's books were published anonymously. So the first Sense and Sensibility was um, written by, quote, a lady. And the subsequent books were written by, quote, the author of Sense and Sensibility. Jane's identity was never revealed during her lifetime, and it was only revealed by her brother after her death in 1817 at the age of 41. So she was quite young when she died. And the two of her books were published posthumously. So the ones published during her life were Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Manfield Park, and Emma. And then the two that were published posthumously were Northanger Abbey and Persuasion. 
So some fun facts about Jane Austen. Um, the first known appearance of the word baseball is in a Jane Austen novel. It's in Northanger Abbey, which was the first book that she wrote. She wrote it when she was quite young, um, but it wasn't published until after her death. Um, and baseball is mentioned as one of the main character's favorite pastimes. Um, Austen's fans are known as Janeites, a term that has existed since the end of the 19th century. Um, she had huge fans even while she was alive. Even the Prince Regent, who she detested, was um, a big fan and his undersecretary or someone um, asked if she would dedicate Emma to him, her newest book, uh, and she didn't want to because she hated him, but you can't say no to the Prince Regent. He's the Prince Regent and so she did. It's dedicated to him. Um, so fans are known as Janeites. Uh, Rudyard Kipling, who wrote The Jungle Book, wrote a short story called The Janeites about a group of World War I artillery soldiers who bond over their secret love of Jane Austen, which I just think is charming. Uh, Austen's novels, um, have been constantly reimagined and recreated. There's so many, um, movies, plays, all those. Uh, the very first movie was actually a black and white movie that they made in the 30s um, of Pride and Prejudice, but they're still making them even now. Um, so some stay true to the original, like the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice or the Gwyneth Paltrow Emma, um, and others are what fan fiction writers call modern AUs, so it's a modern alternate reality. So some examples of that are the 90s movie Clueless, which is a modern retelling of Emma, and um, the movie from 1990 called uh, Goodfellas, Martin Scorsese's movie, which apparently is a violent spin on Mansfield Park. I've never seen Goodfellas, but I could see Mansfield Park getting a little bit dark. Um, there's also a great web series called The Lizzie Bennet Diaries. Um, Bride and Prejudice is kind of like a, has a, takes a little Bollywood spin. And then because it's out of public domain, people can also use it to write further stories. So people have written um, books that continue the story of Pride and Prejudice after it uh, ends. Um, P.E.D. James wrote um, Death That Comes to Pemberley, which is about kind of five years later and there's a murder mystery. It's quite good. Uh, there's a Lost in Austin about a girl who gets sucked into Jane Austen and kind of takes over Lizzie Bennet's um, character. There's uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is just super fun. But they don't have to pay any royalties for that because it's in the public domain. So people play around with it a lot, which I really like, actually. And I think uh, Jane would like it as well. So now on to Pride and Prejudice. So... Austin sold this book outright to her publisher for £110 as she thought it might not sell well, um, but she was very wrong. By the time she died in 1817, it was already on its third printing, and it has never been out of print since. It's a simple story about first impressions, misunderstandings, love, and marriage. Um, I'm going to do a little bit where I assign fanfiction tags to the stories. Uh, tags basically allow readers to know what the story contains without spoiling the plot, and it allows you to determine what you want to read so you can limit things by tags on fanfiction sites. Uh, so the terms I'm using are enemies to friends to lovers, which is one of my all-time favorite tags. Uh, Sunder Darcy, 
So I, I know a lot of people, you have probably heard of Thunder, but what does it mean? So it's an otaku or manga term about a type of character. And my understanding is that a Thunder character is a character that has a cold, standoffish, outward expression, but is far more tender inside. Someone who's a little bit cold and rude, but working behind the scenes to help their love, the person that they're in love with out. Um, another tag is protective siblings, because it's very much about that the Bennett family. But also... Um, the Bingley family, there's protective siblings going on there as well. So, And uh, misunderstandings is another tag because really the whole plot is based around a number of misunderstandings that people have. And then slow burn is the last tag, which means that it will be a long walk to the romantic payoff. So fun facts about Pride and Prejudice. Austin was one of the first authors to use the free indirect speech style of writing. Um, it's a style of third-person narration in which the character speaks through the voice of the narrator. So by using this narrative that adopts the tone and vocabulary of a particular character, in this case Elizabeth, Austin invites the reader to follow events from Elizabeth's viewpoint, sharing her prejudices and misapprehensions without having the book be directly in Elizabeth's voice. I, it's not... I felt this way, but she felt this way. Another fun fact is that Darcy is extremely wealthy, like hella rich. He has an annual income in the book of a thousand pounds per annum, which translates to do today to about 12 million pounds a year. While I would never suggest that it was seeing his palatial state at Pemberley that caused Lizzie to reevaluate his character and proposal, I will say that Elizabeth Bennet may be headstrong and pert, but she was also practical. Okay, so that's all I've got. Um, I hope you feel a little more informed. I'll now read the first few pages. I found the book on Pro Project Gutenberg at gutenberg.org, and I'll try to post a link somewhere so you guys can access it too. So here we go. Chapter 1. It is the truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. However little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his first entering a neighborhood, this truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters. "'My dear Mr. Bennet,' said his lady to him one day, "'have you heard that Netherfield Park is let at last?' Mr. Bennet replied that he had not. "'But it is,' he returned, "'for Mrs. Long has just been here and she told me all about it.' Mr. Bennet made no answer." "'Do you not want to know who has taken it?' cried his wife impatiently. "'You want to tell me, and I have no objection to hearing it.' This was invitation enough. "'Why, my dear, you must know. Mrs. Long says that Netherfield is taken by a young man of large fortune from the north of England, that he came down on Monday in a chase and four to see the place, and was so much delighted with it that he agreed with Mrs. Mr. Morris immediately, that he is to take possession before Michaelmas, and some of his servants are to be in the house by the end of next week.' What is his name? Bingley. Is he married or single? Oh, single, my dear, to be sure. A single man of large fortune. Four or five thousand a year. What a fine thing for our girls. How so? How can it affect them? My dear Mr. Bennet, replied his wife, how can you be so tiresome? You must know that I am thinking of his marrying one of them. Is that his design in settling here? Design? Nonsense! How can you talk so? But it is very likely that he may fall in love with one of them, and therefore you must visit him as soon as he comes. I see no occasion for that. You and the girls may go, or you may send them by themselves, which perhaps will still be better, be, be still better, for as you are as handsome as any of them, Mr. Bingley may like you the best of the party. 
my dear, you flatter me. I certainly have had my share of beauty, but I do not pretend to be anything extraordinary now. When a woman has grown, has five grown-up daughters, she ought to give over thinking of her be own beauty. In such case, a woman has not often much beauty to think of. But, my dear, you must go indeed, indeed go, and see Mr. Bingley when he comes to the neighborhood. It is more than I engaged for, you, I assure you. But consider your daughters. Only think that an establishment, it, what an establishment it would be for one of them. Sir William and Lady Lucas are determined to go, merely on that account, for in general, you know, they visit no newcomers. Indeed, you must go, for it will be impossible for us to visit him if you do not. You are over-scrupulous, sir. I dare say Mr. Bingley will be very glad to see you, and I will send a few lines by you to assure him of my hearty consent to his marrying whichever he chooses of the girls, though I must throw in a good word for my little Lizzie. I desire you will do no such thing. Lizzie is not a bit better than the others, and I am sure she is not half so handsome as Jane, or half so good-humoured as Lydia, but you are always giving her preference." They have none of them much to recommend them, he replied. They are all silly and ignorant like other girls, but Lizzie has something more of quickness than her sisters. Mr. Bennet, how can you abuse your own children in such a way? You take delight in vexing me. You have no compassion for my poor nerves. You mistake me, my dear. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. I have heard you mention them with consideration these last twenty years at least. Ah, you do not know what I suffer. But I hope you will get over it and live to see many young men of four thousand a year come into the neighborhood. It will be no use to us if twenty such should come since you will not visit them. Depend upon it, my dear, that when there are twenty I will visit them all. Mr. Bunnett was so odd and mixture of quick parts, sarcastic humor, reserve, and caprice that the experience of three and twenty years had been insufficient to make his wife understand his character. Her mind was less difficult to develop. She was a woman of mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper. When she was discontented, she fancied herself nervous. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Its solace was visiting and news. Chapter 2 Mr. Bennett was among the earliest of those who waited on Mr. Bingley. He had always intended to visit him, though to the last always assuring his wife that he should not go, and till the evening after the visit was paid, she had no knowledge of it. It was then discovered disclosed on the following manner in the following manner sorry observing his second daughter employed in trimming a hat he suddenly addressed her with i hope mr bingley will like it lizzie we are not in any way to know what mr bingley likes said her mother resentfully since we are not to visit but you forget ma'am said elizabeth that we shall meet him at the assemblies and mrs long promised to introduce him I do not believe Mrs. Long will do any such thing. She has two nieces of her own. She is a selfish, hypocritical woman, and I have no opinion of her. No more have I, said Mr. Bennet, and I am glad to find that you do not depend on her serving you. Mrs. Bennet deigned not to make any reply, but, unable to contain herself, began scolding one of her daughters. Don't keep coughing so, Kitty, for heaven's sake. Have a little compassion on my nerves. You tear them to pieces. Kitty has no discretion in her coughs, said her father. She times them ill. I do not cough for my own amusement, replied Kitty fretfully. When is your next ball to be, Lizzie? Tomorrow fortnight. Aye, so it is, cried her mother, and Mrs. Long does not come back till the day before, so it will be impossible for her to introduce him, for she will not know him herself. Then, my dear, you may have the advantage of your friend and introduced Mr. Bingley to her. Impossible, Mr. Bennet, impossible, when I am not acquainted with him myself. How can you be so teasing? I honor your circumspection. A fortnight's acquaintance is certainly very little. One cannot know what a man really is by the end of a fortnight. 
but if we do not venture, somebody else will, and after all, Mrs. Long and her nieces must stand their chance. And therefore, as she will think it an act of kindness, if you decline the office, I will take it on myself. The girl stared at their father. Mr. Bennet said only, nonsense, nonsense. What can be the meaning of that emphatic exclamation, cried he? Do you consider the forms of, forms of introduction and the stress that is laid on them as nonsense? I cannot quite agree with you there. What say you, Mary? For you are a young lady of deep reflection, I know, and re read great books and make extracts. Mary wished to say something sensible, but knew not how. While Mary's adjusting her ideas, he continued, let us return to Mr. Bingley. I am sick of Mr. Bingley, cried his wife. I am sorry to hear that. But why do you not? did you not tell me that before? If I had known as much this morning, I certainly would not have called on him. It is very unlucky, but as I have actually paid the visit, we cannot escape the acquaintance now. The astonishment of the ladies was just what he wished, that of Mrs. Bennet perhaps surpassing the rest, though when the first tumult of joy was over, she began to declare that it was what she had expected all the while. How good it was in you, Miss, my dear Mr. Bennet, but I knew I should persuade you at last. I was sure you loved your girls too well to neglect an acquaintance. Well, how pleased I am, and it is such a good joke, too, that you should have gone this morning and never said a word about it till now. Now, Kitty, you may cough as much as you choose, said Mr. Bennet, and, as he spoke, he left the room, fatigued with the raptures of his wife. What an excellent father you have, girls, she said, when the door was shut. I do not know how you will ever make him amends for his kindness, or me either, for that matter. At our time of life it is not so pleasant, I can tell you, to be making new acquaintances every day. But for your sakes we would do anything. Lydia, my love, though you are the youngest, I dare say Mr. Bingley will dance with you at the next ball. Oh, said Lydia stoutly, I am not afraid, for though I am the youngest, I'm the tallest. The rest of the evening was spent in conjecturing how soon he would return Mr. Bennet's visit and determining when they should ask him to dinner. So that was the first two chapters of Pride and Prejudice. I hope you guys enjoyed it and that it's intrigued you and perhaps you want to read it yourself. Let me know what other books you're interested in hearing a little bit about, and I'll see you next time. Bye.